chapter fourteen of the works of the right honourable edmund burke volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the works of the right honourable edmund burke volume one by edmund burke sections nine through sixteen of part four section nine why visual objects of great dimensions are sublime vision is performed by having a picture formed by the rays of light which are reflected from the object painted in one piece instantaneously on the retina or last nervous part of the eye or according to others there is but one point of any object painted on the eye in such a manner as to be perceived at once but by moving the eye we gather up with great celerity the several parts of the object so as to form one uniform piece if the former opinion be allowed it will be considered that though all the light reflected from a large body should strike the eye in one instant yet we must suppose that the body itself is formed of a vast number of distinct points every one of which or the ray from every one makes an impression on the retina so that though the image of one point should cause but a small tension of this membrane another and another and another stroke must in their progress cause a very great one until it arrives at last to the highest degree and the whole capacity of the eye vibrating in all its parts must approach near to the nature of what causes pain and consequently must produce an idea of the sublime again if we take it that one point only of an object is distinguishable at once the matter will amount nearly to the same thing or rather it will make the origin of the sublime from greatness of dimension yet clearer for if but one point is observed at once the eye must traverse the vast space of such bodies with great quickness and consequently the fine nerves and muscles destined to the motion of that part must be very much strained and their great sensibility must make them highly affected by this straining besides it signifies just nothing to the effect produced whether a body has its parts connected and makes its impression at once or making but one impression of a point at a time it causes a succession of the same or other so quickly as to make them seem united as is evident from the common effect of whirling about a lighted torch or piece of wood which if done with celerity seems a circle of fire section ten unity why requisite to vastness it may be objected to this theory that the eye generally receives an equal number of rays at all times and that therefore a great object cannot affect it by the number of rays more than that variety of objects which the eye must always discern whilst it remains open but to this i answer that admitting an equal number of rays or an equal quantity of luminous particles to strike the eye at all times yet if these rays frequently vary their nature now to blue now to red and so on or their manner of termination as to a number of petty squares triangles or the like at every change whether of colour or shape the organ has a sort of relaxation or rest but this relaxation and labour so often interrupted is by no means productive of ease neither has it the effect of vigorous and uniform labour whoever has remarked the different effects of some strong exercise and some little piddling action will understand why a teasing fretful employment which at once wearies and weakens the body should have nothing great these sorts of impulses which are rather teasing than painful by continually and suddenly altering their 
tenor and direction prevent that full tension that species of uniform labour which is allied to strong pain and causes the sublime the sum total of things of various kinds though it should equal the number of the uniform parts composing some one entire object is not equal in its effect upon the organs of our bodies besides the one already assigned there is another very strong reason for the difference the mind in reality hardly ever can attend diligently to more than one thing at a time if this thing be little the effect is little and a number of other little objects cannot engage the attention the mind is bounded by the bounds of the object and what is not attended to and what does not exist are much the same in the effect but the eye or the mind for in this case there is no difference in great uniform objects does not readily arrive at their bounds it has no rest whilst it contemplates them the image is much the same everywhere so that everything great by its quantity must necessarily be one simple and entire section eleven the artificial infinite we have observed that a species of greatness arises from the artificial infinite than that this infinite consists in an uniform succession of great parts we observed too that the same uniform succession had a like power in sounds but because the effects of many things are clearer in one of the senses than in another and that all the senses bear analogy to and illustrate one another i shall begin with this power in sounds as the cause of the sublimity from succession is rather more obvious in the sense of hearing and i shall here at once for all observe that an investigation of the natural and mechanical causes of our passions besides the curiosity of the subject gives if they are discovered a double strength and lustre to any rules we deliver on such matters when the ear receives any simple sound it is struck by a single pulse of the air which makes the eardrum and the other membranous parts vibrate according to the nature and species of the stroke if the stroke be strong the organ of hearing suffers a considerable degree of tension if the stroke be repeated pretty soon after the repetition causes an expectation of another stroke and it must be observed that expectation itself causes a tension this is apparent in many animals who when they prepare for hearing any sound rouse themselves and prick up their ears so that here the effect of the sounds is considerably augmented by a new auxiliary the expectation but though after a number of strokes we expect still more not being able to ascertain the exact time of their arrival when they arrive they produce a sort of surprise which increases this tension yet further for i have observed that when in at any time i have waited very earnestly for some sound that returned at intervals as the successive firing of cannon though i fully expected the return of the sound when it came it always made me start a little the eardrum suffered a convulsion and the whole body consented with it the tension of the part thus increasing at every blow by the united forces of the stroke itself the expectation and the surprise it is worked up to such a pitch as to be capable of the sublime it is brought just to the verge of pain even when the cause has ceased the organs of hearing being often successively struck in a similar manner continue to vibrate in that manner for some time longer this is an additional help to the greatness of the effect section twelve the vibrations must be similar but if the vibration be not similar at every impression it can never be carried beyond the number of actual impressions for move any body as a pendulum in one way and it will continue to oscillate in an arch of the same circle until the known causes make it rest 
but if after first putting it in motion in one direction you push it into another it can never reassume the first direction because it can never move itself and consequently it can have but the effect of that last motion whereas if in the same direction you act upon it several times it will describe a greater arch and move a longer time section thirteen the effects of succession in visual objects explained if we can comprehend clearly how things operate upon one of our senses there can be very little difficulty in conceiving in what manner they affect the rest to say a great deal therefore upon the corresponding affections of every sense would tend rather to fatigue us by an useless repetition than to throw any new light upon the subject by that ample and diffused manner of treating it but as in this discourse we chiefly attach ourselves to the sublime as it affects the eye we shall consider particularly why a successive disposition of uniform parts in the same right line should be sublime and upon what principle this disposition is enabled to make a comparatively small quantity of matter produce a grander effect than a much larger quantity disposed in another manner to avoid the perplexity of general notions let us set before our eyes a colonnade of uniform pillars planted in a right line let us take our stand in such a manner that the eye may shoot along this colonnade for it has its best effect in this view in our present situation it is plain that the rays from the first round pillar will cause in the eye a vibration of that species an image of the pillar itself the pillar immediately succeeding increases it that which follows renews and enforces the impression each in its order as it succeeds repeats impulse after impulse and stroke after stroke until the eye long exercised in one particular way cannot lose that object immediately and being violently roused by this continued agitation it presents the mind with a grand or sublime conception but instead of viewing a rank of uniform pillars let us suppose that they succeed each other around in a square one alternately in this case the vibration caused by the first round pillar perishes as soon as it is formed and one of quite another sort the square directly occupies its place which however it resigns as quickly to the round one and thus the eye proceeds alternately taking up one image and laying down another as long as the building continues from whence it is obvious that at the last pillar the impression is as far from continuing as it was at the very first because in fact the sensory can receive no distinct impression but from the last and it can never of itself resume a similar impression besides every variation of the object is a rest and relaxation to the organs of sight and these reliefs prevent that powerful emotion so necessary to produce the sublime to produce therefore a perfect grandeur in such things as we have been mentioning there should be a perfect simplicity and absolute uniformity in disposition shape and colouring upon this principle of succession and uniformity it may be asked why a long bare wall should not be a more sublime object than a colonnade since the succession is no way interrupted since the eye meets no check since nothing more uniform can be conceived a long bare wall is certainly not so grand an object as a colonnade of the same length and height it is not altogether difficult to account for this difference when we look at a naked wall from the evenness of the object the eye runs along its whole space and arrives quickly at its termination the eye meets nothing which may interrupt its progress but then it meets nothing which may detain it a proper time to produce a very great and lasting effect 
the view of a bare wall if it be of a great height and length is undoubtedly grand but this is only one idea and not a repetition of similar ideas it is therefore great not so much upon the principle of infinity as upon that of vastness but we are not so powerfully affected with any one impulse unless it be one of a prodigious force indeed as we are with a succession of similar impulses because the nerves of the sensory do not if i may use the expression acquire a habit of repeating the same feeling in such a manner as to continue it longer than its cause is in action besides all the effects which i have attributed to expectation and surprise in section eleven can have no place in a bare wall section fourteen locke's opinion concerning darkness considered it is mr locke's opinion that darkness is not naturally an idea of terror and that though an excess of light is painful to the sense the greatest excess of darkness is no ways troublesome he observes indeed in another place that a nurse or an old woman having once associated the ideas of ghosts and goblins with that of darkness night ever after becomes painful and horrible to the imagination the authority of this great man is doubtless as great as that of any man can be and it seems to stand in the way of our general principle we have considered darkness as a cause of the sublime and we have all along considered the sublime as depending on some modification of pain or terror so that if darkness be no way painful or terrible to any who have not had their minds early tainted with superstitions it can be no source of the sublime to them but with all deference to such an authority it seems to me that an association of a more general nature an association which takes in all mankind may make darkness terrible for in utter darkness it is impossible to know in what degree of safety we stand we are ignorant of the objects that surround us we may every moment strike against some dangerous obstruction we may fall down a precipice the first step we take and if an enemy approach we know not in what quarter to defend ourselves in such a case strength is no sure protection wisdom can only act by guess the boldest are staggered and he who would pray for nothing else towards his defence is forced to pray for light as to the association of ghosts and goblins surely it is more natural to think that darkness being originally an idea of terror was chosen as a fit scene for such terrible representations than that such representations have made darkness terrible the mind of man very easily slides into an error of the former sort but it is very hard to imagine that the effect of an idea so universally terrible in all times and in all countries as darkness could possibly have been owing to a set of idle stories or to any cause of a nature so trivial and of an operation so precarious section fifteen darkness terrible in its own nature perhaps it may appear on inquiry that blackness and darkness are in some degree painful by their natural operation independent of any associations whatsoever i must observe that the ideas of darkness and blackness are much the same and they differ only in this that blackness is a more confined idea mr cheselden has given us a very curious story of a boy who had been born blind and continued so until he was thirteen or fourteen years old he was then couched for a cataract by which operation he received his sight among many remarkable particulars that attended his first perceptions and judgments on visual objects chuzzlewood tells us that the first time the boy saw a black object it gave him great uneasiness 
and that some time after upon accidentally seeing a negro woman he was struck with great horror at the sight the horror in this case can scarcely be supposed to arise from any association the boy appears by the account to have been particularly observing and sensible for one of his age and therefore it is probable if the great uneasiness he felt at the first sight of blood had arisen from its connection with any other disagreeable ideas he would have observed and mentioned it for an idea disagreeable only by association has the cause of its ill effect on the passions evident enough at the first impression in ordinary cases it is indeed frequently lost but this is because the original association was made very early and the consequent impression repeated often in our instance there was no time for such a habit and there is no reason to think that the ill effects of black on his imagination were more owing to his connection with any disagreeable ideas than that the good effects of more cheerful colours were derived from their connection with pleasing ones they had both probably their effects from their natural operation section sixteen white darkness is terrible it may be worth while to examine how darkness can operate in such a manner as to cause pain it is observable that still as we recede from the light nature has so contrived it that the pupil is enlarged by the retiring of the iris in proportion to our recess now instead of declining from it but a little suppose that we withdraw entirely from the light it is reasonable to think that the contraction of the radial fibres of the iris is proportionally greater and that this part may by great darkness come to be so contracted as to strain the nerves that compose it beyond their natural tone and by this means to produce a painful sensation such attention it seems there certainly is whilst we are involved in darkness for in such a state whilst the eye remains open there is a continual nisus to receive light this is manifest from the flashes and luminous appearances which often seem in these circumstances to play before it and which can be nothing but the effect of spasms produced by its own efforts in pursuit of its object several other strong impulses will produce the idea of light in the eye besides the substance of light itself as we experience on many occasions some who allow darkness to be a cause of the sublime would infer from the dilatation of the pupil that a relaxation may be productive of the sublime as well as a convulsion but they do not i believe consider that although the circular ring of the iris be in some sense a sphincter which may possibly be dilated by a simple relaxation yet in one respect it differs from most of the other sphincters of the body that it is furnished with antagonist muscles which are the radial fibres of the iris no sooner does the circular muscle begin to relax than these fibres wanting their counterpoise are forcibly drawn back and open the pupil to a considerable wideness but though we are not apprised of this i believe any one will find if he opens his eyes and makes an effort to see in a dark place that a very perceivable pain ensues and i have heard some ladies remark that after having worked a long time upon a ground of black their eyes were so pained and weakened they could hardly see it may perhaps be objected to this theory of the mechanical effect of darkness that the ill effects of darkness or blackness seem rather mental than corporeal and i own it is true that they do so and so do all those that depend on the affections of the finer parts of our system the ill effects of bad weather appear often no otherwise than in a melancholy and dejection of spirits though without doubt in this case the bodily organs suffer first in the mind through these organs End of chapter fourteen
chapter fourteen of the works of the right honourable edmund burke volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the works of the right honourable edmund burke volume one by edmund burke 